Hello and welcome to today's episode of Cabaret, darlings. I'm your host, Millie Dollar. This is what I sound like. We are sponsored today by my eco-friendly sideline, milliedollarbeauty.com, a range of vegan biodegradable cosmetic glitters, super light amazing synthetic silk lashes, and you can save using our podcast promo, Cabaret Darlings, all one word, all caps, to save 10% on your next order. Ooh, very nice. All right, so my guest today is the one and only Mr. Neil Kendall. You had me at the glitter. I might, I might be <laughs> If anyone listens to this, can actually see me now. I think it will take more than glitter this weekend. But yeah. Glitter can cover a multitude of sins, babe. Oh, especially yours, I know. Yes, yeah, it's sin-free and covers the sins. And it slides on like so, lube, I bet. Yeah, it can do. <laughs> it depends what material you mix it with, doesn't it, darling? Uh, so this week on the podcast, we're doing something a little bit different. This is episode number six now. Oh, well. Um, yes, I know. Time has flown by. Um, but normally, I come on and I'll tell my guest a story about burlesque and burlesque history. Right. But you are such a knowledgeable source of information when it comes to burlesque so many, history so many and current stories. burlesque as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. I'm but, very lucky. Um, I, I feel that like you have the similar mindset to me that the history of burlesque and cabaret is so important and needs to be documented. Yeah, and I think we're at a really interesting time right now because, you know, we've all got our Facebooks, we've all got our Instagrams and everything. But yes. a lot of that is very, very disposable. And I think one of the things that I've done, especially with Burlesque Hall of Fame over, over the last like 15 years is I've been really into recording the oral histories from performers. Yes. You know, and, it, yeah. and it's so weird because I always think this sort of like these generations, we have lost so many amazing legends. I just think this past few months we've yeah, lost Camille, Satan's yeah. Angel, you know, so many of them. And Alexandra the Great, you know, so many of these great sort of legends and all of them I've been able to sort of sit down with and record their stories. You know, so I yeah. feel in a really lovely way that that history then is the minute it's documented, yeah. you've kept it and it is there to educate some future generations yeah. of people. And that is such an important thing. And I think even with our own careers, you know, I think that is, it is interesting. We've all been there at the inception of a new scene and now it's an established yeah. scene. But, but it, for those of us who were there at the beginning yeah. of it, you know, there's, there's no real like the, record of that. It's so, coming in waves as well. And I feel like a lot totally of the, yeah. the um, burlesque nowadays and the, the people that are coming out nowadays, they don't know... Yeah, the names of the people and it's, 10 it's years such before, it, it's a history that involves politics. It involves feminism. It's it's such a colourful history. It's the history yeah. of striptease essentially. So, I think there is so much drama, so much theatre. <laughs> yeah. and, 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 and then it's all played out. You know, in, in the little burlesque history of theatre, it's all played out with these really amazing characters yeah. like the Blaze Stars, the Dixie Evans, the Jenny Lees, mm -hmm. the Tony Ellings. You know, all these amazing women yeah. that came before us, and actually. You know, especially for newer performers, I kind of think you are here doing your thing on stage because of them. You know, and there is, yeah. in a funny way, Millie, I think there is like a debt that we owe to those those previous generations because they were such trailblazers. And, and anyone that ever gets the opportunity to go to Burlesque Hall of Fame and gets to see the Legends Night and see those women in action, they are really, to this day, yeah. they're formidable. You know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah. Um, Satan's Angel I mean I'll just swear on this or, or probably not no. have you fucking met me <laughs> <laughs> I mean like Satan's Angel you know she was one of those women you know don't fuck with her you know what I mean oh, yeah. she would I remember her in no, to, in no uncertain time she would put you she liked you yeah. she liked you if she didn't like you mm -hmm. she'd tell you to your face you know what I mean they're like yeah. really feisty strong women and I think you know from my experience that that has really informed my whole career in burlesque, really. Mm. So that so the history of it, I think for so many different reasons, it's so important that you're doing this, that we're all on a different way, sort of preserving that and, yeah. and sort of upholding it. Oh, thank you. Because there's a lot of... Because um, I've spent some time, before I did the podcast, I was doing research on burlesque history. And like mm. uh, I remember from the very first time I heard of burlesque and cabaret, I read every book I could on yeah, it. So it's, it's yeah. something that always fascinated me, the history of it all. Yeah. Um, but then when I, with my classes that I teach, um, I do little history lessons as part of the classes every now yeah. and then, where I'll sit down and I'll tell them a brief history of burlesque from, for certain areas. Yeah. Um, but there are a lot of performers that still are with us, 
but there isn't a, a great wealth of information out there about them, which is it's kind of sad. It's like yeah, and I think like a lot of those. Yeah, it's very interesting because it's also like sort of sexual history, and I think yeah. now we're at a time where people can own their sexualities mm-hmm. with a lot more comfort and a lot more ease than they've been previously allowed to do. And that is especially true, I think, of women. And, and burlesque to me is very much like a, a women's history as well. Yeah. And I think one of the things that sort of happened in the past is that burlesque had such connection with sex that those women were to be seen in magazines, they were to be seen in photographs, but actually mm. they were denied having a voice. And I think that's another reason why us preserving the history is so important because... If you talk to, um, there's so many of them that have sort of passed away now, but if you talk to, I'm trying to think of living legends, like Tempest Storm is someone that really springs to mind. Yeah. Um, is a very, very intelligent, articulate woman. And yet I think her whole life she's been displayed as a sex symbol and she's gone some way to yeah. cultivate that. That's part of her branding. But she was never allowed to have a voice or express an opinion yeah. And she was just to be seen in, in sort of Playboy magazine or, or on stage, you know. And I think very often these women led very interesting lives, led very political lives, led very colourful lives. And yet they were just reduced to a photograph or an image. You know, it's like people like Monroe or Mansfield, still, yeah. you know, in cinema. Like Jay Mansfield is a classic example of, of someone that was a very well-known sex symbol, but actually was a very intelligent woman that had this yeah. really super camp, innate understanding of her own celebrity in many ways was the first mm-hmm. reality TV star, you know what I mean? So her her sort of marketing and her branding was something totally, totally unique, which is something that didn't really happen within burlesque. Uh, but that, that that denying women of their voices and things. And yeah. Going off on a tiny bit of a tangent oh, no, no, that, exactly. but I understand that tangent. so important. Even now you see people going, oh, Marilyn Monroe, she read books. It's like, yeah, yeah. well, why does... Why can the two not equate to exactly. the other? Yeah. Why is it like, oh, she's a sex symbol? And I, you know, and you look at be... what what's happened recently for us, like the sort of like the Me Too movement, uh, yeah, the most the most key thing, but also just that mass inequality, mm-hmm. you know, in in sort of like in payment, for example, you know, that was something that I mean, my introduction to burlesque and stop me if I'm going on, but <laughs> I was very, very lucky. In 1990, I got to meet Jenny Lee, the Bazoom girl. Oh, wow. And Dixie. Yeah. And Jenny, I mean, this and this is something that, that always stayed with me. Um, so I, I would have been, what, like 20 years of age. And mm-hmm. Jenny became the president of the Exotic Dancers League of America. Yes. So she was one of these women that that, that kind of went out into, into mainstream society and she ensured that, that women in burlesque were kind of receiving regular contracts that their that there were that there were harassment laws that she brought in there were laws yeah. for black performers to work mm-hmm. in white clubs which was unheard of in the late kind of 50s you know yeah. at a time when there was so much segregation in entertainment generally um and even in her well she'd have only been like in her early 60s then because she died um a few months after I visited but she was one of those women, like some like Dirty Martini is now, that mm-hmm. kind of galvanised that whole scene. And, of course, there was no internet then, so it was all via paper yeah. correspondence and telephone calls and things. But she got together all these women and kind of, even at that point, it was like Mad Max in the desert for strippers. <laughs> she had this goat ranch in the middle of the Mojave Desert. Dixie Evans was living there and taking how, care of her because she was How many goats? <laughs> Uh, that was like, well, having a goat, so there weren't goats there at that time. Well, that's, that's questionable, actually, seeing some of the, some of the people that were there. But um, it was a really strange... If you've ever seen any American horror mm-hmm. movie where, like, The Hills oh, of wow. Eyes or okay. something like that, it was, like it, it was really Texas creepy. Total Texas Chainsaw Massacre. <laughs> and it was sort of like, literally, you'd rock up in your car, honk the horn three times. Yeah. And Dixie would come out, probably, what would she have been, like, early 60s? Blonde, blonde wig, yeah. you know, like leopard cat suit, you know, everything straining, massive boobs. And she did these really amazing tours, Millie. Yeah. It was, I, I loved it. And that was my introduction to burlesque history. Mm-hmm. And I, and even back then, I mean, you know, if you think there's, there's sort of, it's, it's difficult researching now in 2019, in, tw- in 1990, yeah. my goodness, there was nothing. But she was this fountain of knowledge and she was really, really funny and so basically I'm, I'm just giving everyone listen to this like a like a visual if you can imagine like this this weird little collection of caravans and like a strange it was like the Chatsworth Chainsaw Massacre <laughs> there's a weird old house with all and it was the Bellas Hall of Fame Museum yeah all these like 10-8s and Jane Mansfield's couch in the middle of it all and like 
weird stripper things like pot leopards, you know, that only an ageing stripper would have. Like, you know, those really <laughs> awful pot leopards that you see at TK Maxx or yes. something, with like, yeah. but with like daffodils in the mouths and things. But they <laughs> kind of put their own weird kind of like fucked up spin on it so it was yeah. but it, it was it sounds just, like john waters it was a, like it was john a waters, living john um, waters film the chainsaw yeah and in, and in fact he ended up working i think in the 70s with a few of the burlesque like liz renee and people like that yeah. the desperate living fan mm-hmm. yeah but it was to me it was like the most amazing education because i was taken around by dixie and there was me and a friend from los angeles and she would, I was the Marilyn Monroe burlesque and I, oh, and I came through the curtain like a ball of fire and I did, you know, and I did late time. And like, she'd tell you all these stories. Yeah. Was that straight off? 100 miles an hour. But <laughs> she would, yeah, and it was, yeah, absolutely. Hey, here's my life story. And she was just so wanting to share the history of it. So she'd yeah. been there for people that don't know Dixie was very famous in the 50s, had been the Marilyn Monroe of burlesque. Did she once pop up on an episode of Eurotrash? Yes, yeah. I remember that as a yeah, child. Yeah, watching, yeah, yeah. She popped up on lots of things. And I yeah. think at that time, it went right to the, to the very end of her life, actually. Yeah. You know, there was that whole irresistible I thing. I think they showed Exotic World. Like, she was... Yeah, had the, there, like, metal gate with a name on yeah. it. And she was just so... She would, if she, you know, if you gave her five minutes, she'd put the lips on, she'd put the red turkey feather boa that was molting everywhere. She kind of, like, <laughs> pries herself into some weird... Spangly. It was all very drug queen, you know. It was yeah. great, and uh, and then she'd give you this tour. But her passion was just unstoppable. You know, you you were just instantly, whether you were interested or not, you were suddenly drawn into her world of burlesque. And this was Rosita Royce that danced with doves, and she hid birdseed in her gown, and she was a real bitch actually because I worked with her in forty nine. <laughs> so you know, she had like she worked with them all. So it was yeah. this weird thing of the history. It's it's it, it's like it I feel today sometimes when I yeah it was a full <laughs> history, and she'd been there to see it in the forties and fifties. So yeah. it made it alive in in every sense that it could be. And right to her last knocking, knockings, Dixie, she sort of died of a stroke about five, a series of strokes about four years ago, five years ago. And right on her deathbed, Dixie was like, oh, Neil from London. I'm like, Dixie, I've not lived in London for 20 years, but she's, <laughs> you know, American, everyone lives in London, you know, they yeah. can't exist anywhere else in the UK. But she was just Sorry so... Sorry American <laughs> listeners. <laughs> but, you know, they, they know what I mean. <laughs> but, yeah, she, uh, but Dixie just that whole the history of it and yeah. I and it's a really weird it left me with a sense of, of actually being in a film or something I kind of felt it wasn't quite that real the whole surrealness thing surrealness so of surreal. it is this really happening yeah it Am was I really so here? surreal yeah and um and, and I you could not help but mm. fall in love with her you know and she had all these stories of Frank Sinatra and Marilyn Monroe suing her and and she kind of <laughs> yes, gone through like chronic alcoholism and all these ups and downs, but mm. with Dixie, what I loved, and I think with a lot of those women, um, it was not an easy profession. I think now yeah. people think, hey, you were earning thousands of dollars a week and you were, but actually the reality was you were gigging up to a year on the road on like yeah. the burlesque wheel. So you'd start out in New York, mm-hmm. you'd gig from state to state in a chain of theatres yeah. that were called the wheel that were operated by the same company, basically. There were a lot of dancers back then that were having to take their children and their pets with them on the road. Yeah, so yeah. backstage it would be Absolutely. quite common that there would just be a baby in a crib somewhere. Yeah, yeah, or a drawer in the dressing room. I mean, yeah. Zarita used yeah. to keep her, her baby... It, like on top of her costumes and sit. This is, I mean, this is God's honest truth. Zarita, Zarita's child would sleep, she'd work with snakes, you know, and the yes. child would be there within the snakes. I mean, talk about. Oh, no, no. There are so many crazy yeah. stories, but I think. So many things you wouldn't have to Yeah, know yeah. And I think burlesque back then, you know, it was a lucrative business, that is for sure. If you're a headliner, you could, um, you know, even someone like Dixie, you know, in the mid 50s, you could earn a couple of thousand dollars a week. So yeah. if you were held over, you know, you were proving really popular in, I don't know, Tennessee or Ohio, wherever, you would get held over for a week or so. But you're looking at, and this is the interesting thing, in the burlesque theatres, you know, a midday show, so your matinee, where all the guys would come in with the raincoats, you know, away from their wives and everything. So you'd <laughs> yeah, have that whole shuffling too. knuckles, you know what I mean, <laughs> with a copy of the yeah. Ohio Tribune or whatever, bouncing up and down for the matinee show. <laughs> then you'd do like a 4pm show. Then you'd do like a 7pm. Yeah. It'd be like a 9 o'clock. Why it'd be a midnight. Why can't they just socks like everyone? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, you know, there was all this, it was, you know, like mm-hmm. 30 or 40 shows in one theatre. Yeah. A week at peak seasons and mm-hmm. things. 
And then you were living out of your luggage, and we all know what that oh, is like. Yeah, it's, it's you know what I mean? I mean, we, we all know what is that that, that yeah. is like in the, in the business now. But if you amplify that, mm-hmm. you know, being a year away from your home, from your family, yes, you know, not being on stopping, the road, not having yeah. a day off, and you know, and I think the business back then as well. Um, yes, there were they were sort of notorious women. Um, but there was a lot of violence and things. So it was a lot of mob-operated yeah. theatres and things. So if you were either working um, with the mob, yeah. um, you're expected to, you know, that's why a lot of them never worked the clubs, you know, because they were expected mm-hmm. to sort of mingle and that was in exchange for um, sexual favours and things as well. So yeah. a lot of them had in their contracts, they just worked the theatre chain. So then there was that distance between the audience, you know, yeah. they wouldn't have to mix or anything like that. But... A lot of the stories I read in research and there is a lot of mob ties. And oh, a lot I mean, it makes perfect sense, doesn't it? Like, and um, I was reading to my students about Satan's Angel. Yeah. Um, yeah. I know, so was it? Yes, Satan's Angel. And uh, she had uh, that situation in a nightclub where someone ended up pointing a gun at her head. Yeah, yeah. And it's just... They were absolutely horrified yeah. that this was ever. Yeah. It's like actually there's, there's a lot of uh, crime ties. Oh, absolutely. To a lot yeah. of these clubs. And a lot of sort of disrespect as well yeah. for the, you know, depending on who you were. But uh, it was not unusual for them all to travel with sort of guns and things. I know mm. Ricky Cavett, who was the. She was billed as the world's tallest exotic. Yes. You know, she was six feet, eight inches. And she used to be a bouncer, didn't she, before she... Oh, that was Louis Faye. That was oh, another... Yeah, Faye. yeah. So that was she. Yeah. She was the one that married... Oh, she, um, she was the tallest and then Ricky Buck covered yes, came up. Yeah. So this is the best story <laughs> yeah. ever. There's so many brilliant rivalries. That's one of the things that I, I kind of love about the, <laughs> Do you the miss old the days. Yes. <laughs> so they... So Ricky Covet and Lois Faye were booked mm-hmm. uh, opposite in opposite clubs in New York about 1955. Oh, so so Ricky was like the new, hot new kid on the block yeah. that was like the world's tallest exotic, and Lois Faye had also had that billing. So yeah. you can imagine the press attention. Mm-hmm. And the great thing with a lot of those women, they were they were totally aware. They were often, they would have agents and managers yeah. and bookers, but very often that ballyhoo, that hype and everything came from them. So Ricky it's like actually that said, manufactured? "Yeah, it was a total degree. thing of, of being in a competitive industry and having a unique a USP, basically, you yes. know, um, to sort of to, to sell your act." But those two came face to face, and Ricky, I mean, she she's passed away now, but she told me that. You know, she sort of pulled herself up to a full... She, she always said, actually, I, mm-hmm. I was like six foot four, you know, and I had yeah. the highest heels in the business, yeah. so... And always long gowns. Yeah. But she, like, pulled herself up to a full six foot eight, and I think, um, what's her face, Lois Defoe, was like six foot seven or something, so she picked oh, her. she was like... And, uh, uh, so she spun around on her fine. heels, like, marched out of the club, and about two weeks later... Um, Ricky was like, you know, I was wrapping up business at the club, you know, yeah. and I dropped a 10 8 saying, you know, <laughs> dear Lois, you know, a sign 10 8, you know, nice looking down at you, you know, best, best wishes, <laughs> Ricky Kovac, you know, in brackets, the world's tallest exotic. <laughs> she was like, that. I think she still kept it. She still got it. She's <laughs> no, like, no, 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 like, I can imagine, like, oh, you know, like, I, 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 would have, I would have framed that. That is brilliant. <laughs> that I don't know if she's just in the funny side, I, but. I love one of the, um, I think. You, you posted it a few weeks back as well, which was strange because I'd just told my students the same story about Evangeline Oyster Girl. <sighs> That's the best story ever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Aquatina. Divina, yeah. Divina, yeah. the Aquaties. Yeah, the Aquaties. Yeah. That, um, so for those who don't know, that's a, quite a story. Yeah, of, well, she um, was amazing. Um, re- again, this is uh, this is why it's so important recording the history, but... Evangeline kind of basically um, worked with a 12-piece orchestra. Mm-hmm. This number, her oyster shell number, yeah. took about a year in rehearsal and planning. And she had been a professional dancer, had been scouted, I think, um, by, uh, I think it was Stormy's Casino or something first. And the act sort of took about a year and she came out of the... So there's a lot of work. Uh, oyster shell. Oh, God, yeah. yeah. And she did this whole thing where basically it was uh, based on a poem by Longfellow. And the act was was like, a li- I think it was literally about 40 minutes. It was a whole performance where wow, she okay. kind of like this. It, there was a whole thing about, you know, the, the dawn is dawning on the swamp and Evangeline is in her lair waiting for a mate. And, yeah. and in the poem, I think she she has to wait every like year or a hundred years. <laughs> yeah, and she's like the whole music because it was kind of black musicians in yeah. New Orleans, you know, yeah. so you can imagine 
it. She had like a whole Afro-Cuban part of the show. and mm-hmm. um, But the musicians really sort of dictated the whole tempo of the act and everything. But every spin, she would sort of flip the oyster shell from her foot to the back of her shoulder and back. So it, was, it involved kind of yeah. like bits of contortion, all sorts of things. But she, rightly so, was so proud of her act. And when the club that she was working in booked... <laughs> The underwater tease, Divina. (laughs) It was like literally the sparks flew. So on opening night... She had a a giant... So she had a giant water tank. And she stripped... 40 gallons of water. Yeah, yeah. And she... I mean... It kind of was like one of those ridiculous things that you just couldn't do now. You know what I mean? Like, I think if you go to the Moulin Rouge, if you get a chance to go to the Moulin Rouge, they've got this brilliant snake tank where the the tank comes out. Have you ever seen it? It's bonkers. So it does it... um, It rises out of the crowd like like some kind of Phantom of the Opera. Yeah. And basically strippers kind of jump in but because you can't train snakes, you know, they they wrap the snakes around their naked writhing bodies and they're all supposed to be like sacrifice. It's crazy like sacrificial B-movie type thing. Real snakes, yeah. But all the snakes are kind of like wiggling away trying to get ready for it from the dancers. It's hysterical. Yeah, fuck off, love. Get out, I'm getting out of this water. I didn't fancy a swim. <laughs> but it is, it's tight. I remember watching that with my mouth open thinking, you are kidding me. This, yeah. I didn't expect that. A tank to come out no. filled with like pythons and things yeah. and all these like nubile women jumping well, in. Well, unfortunately for Divina, she didn't have a hydraulic no, tank that could she just didn't. pop back but away what nice she and neat. Was the wrath of Evangeline, so on, oh, on the yeah. big opening night, the press were duly assembled and everything, and clever Evangeline invited a photographer from Life magazine. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she took mid act, Davina mid underwater teasing, you know, taking off her stockings, you know, in the in a 40 gallon tank. She took a fire axe to the yeah. front of the tank, repeatedly whacked it. Yeah. And so, of course, with the pressure of the water, all those kind of like gallons of water, it just exploded, the whole thing burst. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's this insane, you can Google it, actually. It's a good thing to Google, do, uh, do a bit of Velas homework. But... Yeah, I'll be, I'll be popping it up on the uh, <laughs> yeah, Instagram yeah, account yeah, so people yeah. can see the... Uh, uh, but there's these insane they, pictures. Because of... they've got Life magazine there taking photos. They're yeah, the best yeah. pictures of this situation. Exactly. Which is yeah. great. And what was brilliant, it's another thing of just that that completely insane marketing, is the whole thing was a PR stunt that Evangeline yes. had set up. But it not was. the club wasn't in on it, the other poor girl wasn't and in Divina on it. Divina wasn't in on it. And Divina said it wasn't in on it. She wasn't yeah. even on, on the tank at the end of it. But no. um, but the pictures are insane. And, yeah. and what Evangeline said, which kind of made sense as, as, as a businesswoman, you know, and I think people forget, uh, I, think, I think people forget today as well, burlesque is a business, you know what I mean? Yes. It's, I know there's a lot of people that do it as a hobby, or, but for a lot of us, you know what I mean? It, yeah. it always for has me been a business. This is our, yeah, our yeah, it's bread and butter. Job, yeah. But um, what she said, which I thought was genius, was like, of course that story went all around the world and countless magazines mm-hmm. ran the story and then the the kind of the end and lord knows what happened to Divina because Evangeline's kind of so crafty telling the story even now uh, she, yeah. she only just died a few months ago actually yeah, but she, did, yeah. she kind of omits to say her side of the other girl's side of things apart from there's these grainy old photos of poor Divina floundering around in a the, in the, in the half empty oh, tank I've, I've heard that they were supposedly they remained friends afterwards but who knows? Who knows but, for sure? But there's a brilliant... The end of the story in Life magazine when they run it was just an immaculately groomed Evangeline oh. with a police officer <laughs> in front of bars. And she's in one of those really tailored 1950s white suits. Yeah. And she had green hair, which I think is brilliant. She's bright yeah, Kelly she green. Did. Yeah. yeah. So she would walk down Bourbon Street in the mid-50s. No, I mean, that would have been so wild. Yeah. I mean, I think Vampira, like, was ahead of her time, that horror hostess. But... Seeing a woman, and she said that she always wore white, and that she got so popular after that story that she had to have security with her. Well, and that, yeah, bodyguards. and she was held over like literally. I think she did that act till she retired in about 1966. Yeah. And that I can't quite remember the year, but I'm guessing it was early 50s, like 52 she, or something. She passed on the act as well, didn't she? So it, yeah, there was a whole series. Like Divina actually was another act that was a franchise thing. Yeah. So there, at any point in the States, there'd be five Divinas doing mm-hmm. their thing. So the, the, it was a franchise, so there wasn't a specific... Sometimes I do wish there could be two of me, but... <laughs> <laughs> Imagine I'm every man cleaning up all of your gigs. I, get, I can barely afford myself, yeah. <laughs> never mind. Never mm. mind another one. <laughs> but if I'm not rubbing on that, you know, doppelgangers, Lily Sincere mm-hmm. had two women that looked exactly like dead ringers. One was Sharon Knight. Wow. And she had her own vice <laughs> ring. So if men wanted to take Lily Sincere out, 
she operated as a madam and these two women that look so much like her would actually businessmen you know because she was a stripper no one ever heard her speak or heard her uh, do so she did on radio yeah. interviews and things but yeah so she had two women that looked like her I swear to god she would send them out on dates so they would actually sleep with these guys and she'd take a cut <laughs> of the money but oh, they were all like I slept with Lily Sincere <laughs> So there was a kind of like, when you start digging with burlesque history, there are some kind of like really quite shady stories. Oh yeah. Yeah. There was a lot of, a lot of shenanigans, definitely. But isn't that crazy? That is. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. And of course the men knew no different because they they wouldn't know what she sounded like because she'd just be silent on on the main stage. Yeah. So they were probably Uh, like, you were great on your show and such and such. She's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But they all had, I mean, that is nuts talk about stage door johnnies if you talk to Mm. any of them it was that time i think more innocent times as well where men would come to the stage door with 12 red roses they would write them poems they would give them white fox furs and they would buy them jewelry and Mm -hmm. and and sort of offer to fly them to europe and you know so there was there was a whole culture if you were like a i don't like a blaze star a tempest storm there were a lot of fans that would follow them around from theater to theater you know, and and there was a, a sort of a magic which there is now, I think, to burlesque. Yes. You know, there was a definite a definite sort of seduction there. So mm-hmm. I think a lot of these men would see these women on stage, and they may may have waited like six months for Blaze Star to come back on the wheel and back into Toledo or wherever it would have been. Yeah, you know, which we didn't have over here. You know, we had like the strip clubs and things in Soho, there but was a, it, it a was very kind small of, circuit. So yeah, there was music like, hall and things um, here, but not like the less club in Liverpool and then um, some. In yeah. Liverpool. Yeah. Some in Cheltenham. There, there was there was risque entertainment, but it was more. But, yeah, it, it sort it, of fuses here into music hall and things. What we would have thought of as risque, really. No, you, you'd have had the and the the yeah. um, principal nude fan dance. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and that's kind of mm. the, the show. But you'd get Peaches Pages and those sort of women that did these kind of reviews that were sort of definite yes. headliners. Because yeah, I found her, she was in Liverpool. Yeah, point, yeah, um, yeah. So there were like the Moss Theatre chain. There was there were a lot of sort of chains here but like mm. you know if you think about Liverpool I mean back in the 50s 60s there would have been like 15 20 theatres easily you know mm. small music halls old sort of like vaudeville theatres and things yeah. so I think here we had it was more like a variety show so you'd get your chorus dancers you'd get mm. an escapologist uh, a hula hoop dancer someone doing an act with poodles you know like <laughs> insane but yeah. actually there were some Mac things here like we had I think it was a little bit more theatrical here like in a, Chester no just nationally in, in the UK in the UK like they were currently like, sat in Chester so. yeah I, I think we had like music hall theatres and things here but what you did have people like Paul Raymond did these girly the show Raymond Review Bar and the yeah. Arthur, Arthur Fox in Arthur Manchester Fox in Manchester as well. yeah so Arthur Fox flew over like April March all sorts of people yeah. to sort of appear at his review bar mm-hmm. but up in the collection I've got all the original flyers and things of all those people he bought like Virginia Bell who was like 48 22 36 Virginia Ding Dong Bell over all these yeah. Kind of like American superstars. I think he had Ricky Corvette over. As he did well. have Ricky Corvette over. Yeah, yeah. So she came, and um, but you get things like Paul Raymond doing these really insane, cause it was battling with the infancy of television. Mm-hmm. So I think the coronation, and um, some correct me if I'm wrong. I think that was about 1953 or something like that. 54, maybe. I think it was 50. Yeah, so early 50s. But that coincided and it was the main reason why people in the UK were buying televisions. I know, it would have been 52. 52, probably, It was Silver Jubilee when I first moved to London, that was 2012. Oh, right, well, there we go. Perfect. So, So, yeah. So, but the Raymond Review Bar, um, Raymond, Paul Raymond, did these mad reviews to compete with the early stages of television, which all had yeah. happened in the States, where all these crazy novelty acts mm-hmm. erupted to compete and to keep people going into theatres yeah. as opposed to staying at home and watching yeah. TV. And they also had the Casino de Paris as yes. well, which yeah. had some amazing, like, um, they were really good at working that. Um, oh, what's the word I'm trying to think of? The marketing machine. They like, were really like press and publicity, press and yeah. publicity. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. And they, so Paul Raymond did like a whole nude circus, yeah. like with like nude knife throwing. He trained like so. There was a woman that did like work with lions, but that in was the topless nude. and things. But in the, in the nude, I've actually got posters up there. It's insane. 
So they had like um, these crazy, yeah, see living nudes defy lions in the pit of death. All this completely sensational. <laughs> I mean, you wouldn't want to go and see that show, by the way, Millie. But yeah, I mean, you just, they were kind of doing all this nuts bring stuff. Bring that back, back tribute act yeah. <laughs> And there's, oh my God, there's all these like really weird, alarmingly kind of like racist things. Like there was like an Indian, it was like an Indian rifle act and the billing is him shoot girl off, uh, him oh, shoot panty off girl. Like a Native American. Uh, like a Native American yeah. thing. Yeah, like a, he, he was a genuine um, Native American chap. That, yeah. ca- that was a whiz with rifles and mm-hmm. things. So he, but the billing, him shoot panty off girl. It was, it was kind of done that mm. faux. Yeah. yeah. So there's all this, I mean, which which kind of was, is very much of that time. But there were all these kind of like completely bonkers speciality acts. Yeah. Big thing with like poodles doing tricks and... Buffalo, yeah. was it Buffalo Bill, mm. those touring shows of the. There's like the whole Wild West things. And yeah, things that that's sort of what like Westerns like, were really. Yeah, with becoming, rodeo and stuff um, in it. Quite a, a, a thing. Spaghetti yeah. Westerns yeah. were quite common yeah. in that era. But yeah, there's, a, Some odd there's always been a little bit of a cultural appropriation thing going well, on is, in Berlin. Is, um, throughout you know, the and that is very much part of its history. Yeah. You know, and we live in different times now, but I think mm. that whole thing. Yeah. I think there was something about um, exoticism, you know, that uh, there was something that was an enduring promise about Mm -hmm. someone from Polynesia or someone Mm -hmm. from uh, Japan or someone from Borneo, whatever they made up. You know, you get all these like Princess Fahina and all these insane names of women made up. They were kind of like, most of them were like sort of like Jewish American women. It was like Princess Dume was um, the Cherokee. Um, half-breed they called her but she was a Jewish American so it's this very interesting thing um, within burlesque of people taking from different cultures and Mm -hmm. it would usually mean historically and this is historic that uh, they were somehow more exotic more sexually liberated more earthy Mm -hmm. more in charge of their own sexualities than let's say British women might have been or American women might have Ooh, been. So, so there was that. They were just being seen yeah. as, as 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 simply identified as, as being sort of exotic. Proper British bells, they wouldn't do. Yeah, yeah. So there was a wholesomeness or something like that with a peach's page that mm-hmm. a, a princess Aziz or a little Egypt or a, or a Kalika or any one of those exotic yeah. kind of acts, they represented something very, very different. They re- represented in many ways like a sexual rebellion and things that... Mm-hmm that their sort of white counterparts might not have had. And also, you know, which was a huge thing, were, were, were sort of um, black performers within burlesque. It was a yeah. massive, massive, more than people realise. Um, because I think burlesque really, it's it's it, the bones of it, were the black musicians in places like Chicago, in places mm-hmm. like New Orleans, places like Harlem in New York. And they were the ones that really gave it that bluesy, jazzy soundtrack with the wailing trumpets that, and that honky-tonk that music. And, yeah, well, and it was... Really and it was that, and if you talk to anyone that works with, you know, that, that mm-hmm. you too, anyone that works with live music, you know there are certain things, like when that, you know, when that trombone starts wailing and things, yeah. you know, it, it's yeah. something that, you, you know, that getting that beat right with the kind of like drummers and things, mm-hmm. and black musicians would always keep in time with the, with the better dancers, you know, like the shape dancers and things. Yeah. So you get people like um, Miss Topsy that I spoke to recently, you know, she always, they all Tony Ellen, they all wanted to work with live musicians because yeah. it, it fit their style and their movements and their, that, that whole thing of, of sort of passion. And I think it was Mae West that talks about shimmy dancing and, and she's like, have you well, ever she, seen? She yeah, I mean, she was she, like the original shimmy, kind of like burlesque yeah. performer in many ways. Yeah. But like, there she, was an episode about all about the shimmy. Yeah, um, really. But it was about Gilda Gray, who yeah, also claims yeah. to have invented the shimmy. The shimmy, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. But that, I mean, it really, there is so much of black culture in burlesque mm-hmm. that always sort of has been. That, that sort of, so it's really yeah. important to kind of acknowledge mm-hmm. sort of specifically about the music and that, that the burlesque sound as it was, yeah. you know, with the live bands. But that was a huge thing for those dancers and mm-hmm. many of them stopped working in the business when uh, when the musicians got laid off, you know, because that was, I think, yeah. that, again, that was a television thing and just way back in the sort of, like, 60s, you know, tastes were changing and, and society was generally It's like the orchestra was getting smaller and smaller. And then it was records, you know, yeah. yeah. You know, and then you go into the, like, 70s and it was like you bring your 8-track or something to yeah. a gig, you know, so, <laughs> yeah, so a very different animal back then. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm just glad we don't use CDs anymore. <laughs> remember Imagine that. I remember what that. Like That's so funny, record. actually. Isn't that weird? Like, I'm just thinking about like right when I started doing it, probably with you as well. You'd be like, you'd have yeah, like well, stacks of CDs, wouldn't you? Like, we, we would, I think we met when I was like 
very new mm. to uh, to the world of burlesque. Um, so that would have been like about 13 and a half years yeah, ago, I think yeah. we first met. Oh, honestly, Millie, I can, I can remember people, like, I remember, you know, everyone like, yeah, this is, and sometimes it'd be like, you have two CDs, like, this is the first track, mm-hmm. this is the second track, and then there'd be a whole yeah. fucking album of music coming up. So it's like, unless like, you're it's, shit hot, like, sound number technician. number 15 on this CD. Exactly, yeah. And then there's yeah. someone put some, some poor tech with like 15 CDs, all scratched yeah. and all out the cases, and, yeah. you know, and they'd be like, Dorb with Missy Malone, or Millie, you know what I mean, everyone's names, and like, Sharpie, kind of yeah. written on the disc. Try and draw a little, like, I know you've got a show like 50 acts in there. it. Nightmare. <laughs> but always, I always get them back with like full on thumbprints on the CDs yeah, and just yeah. like really yeah. a bit like, oh. I've probably, I like, I'll probably use like that for tomorrow night's yeah. show. <laughs> yeah. I've got people, I think I've got Layla Roses somewhere from one Halloween, yeah. like Donkey's Year. Back, oh, you know, like no, I found my pile of burned CDs. I still have a stockpile of them from yeah. way back in the day. But then in a funny way, and this is an interesting thing I was saying when we started out, that mm. that in a funny way is a part of history an instagram account a facebook account in three years when that's deleted and we move on to something else yeah there is no history there you know what i mean like what are you going to do how are you going to archive your whole fleeting yeah, yeah. so, so like, i would say anyone watching this that's a performer it's like get your hard copies of your photos for example <laughs> yeah yeah you know what i mean because it's sort of like when you've got the granny box granddad box your your they box mm-hmm. you know whatever like in years to come um that history those 10 8 those those flyers those you know your photos your merch whatever it's it's keep those records keep it yeah yeah, yeah. and be your own massive... custodian of your own sort of history because yeah. i look at stuff we've done like that where's that it's, it's been up here for years but the little rocket picture the little old yeah from whatever that, that was uh, the illustration yeah the i rocket. just yeah of you I'll, on I'll that, pop on that up on the um Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> I've still got yes, exactly. Yeah. My God, we're so funny. It's this picture of Millie. You'll, she'll post it up. You'll see it. But it's the most hilarious picture of Millie on a rocket. Really, I think we put like conical, like conical pasties on, on me. Yeah. <laughs> and um, my granddad, who was about ninety-three at the like, time, was like, "I don't understand the points of your performers." And you're like, you know, you the point of <laughs> The points are here. <laughs> look, look at them. It's filthy. My granddad loved that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, because we've uh, since we met way back when, so we've seen yeah. so many changes and things happen yeah. throughout the burlesque world. Oh my, so many, and, and it's so weird now because at one point, especially in this country, yeah, kind of felt. I mean, there is still a network of, of connected mm-hmm. people, but then I think like this, you know, like the last couple of years, I've got, I've got no idea who that person is or yeah. this one is, or I, I you know, and I kind of try as, as much as I can, but the, the weird thing is. I think when you get established, people don't want to invite you to gigs as much, or they think, you know what I mean? I think people, yeah, 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 I do. I think they're kind of like, I don't know what people think, to be honest, but anytime someone invites me, I says, I've got this going on, I'm like, I kind of, I'm like, yeah, because I really want to see what people are doing, and and I think, you know, a few years back, my policy with the shows now is I have to see everyone live in order to book them, it's really hard. Yeah, I have a similar policy. Yeah, it's tough. a stage presence that you can't get through video. Mm. Like sometimes you'll you'll see someone live and yeah. say they bring yeah. something into the venue that it, it spreads throughout the whole venue and it's just that charisma yeah, yeah. that doesn't translate to YouTube. Yeah, but it's, I mean, it is, who would have known whenever it was, like, stuff like Instagram, I think, has revolutionised mm-hmm. the business in, in, yeah. in many, many ways. It's the main thing I use nowadays because yeah. all uh, the things I do, and same for you, yeah. very visual. Yeah. And it's like, I don't want to have to talk much about explaining what I'm up to that week. I'd rather just be like, here's some... Yeah, I don't remember everyone saying to me... I mean, it, it, it's so weird with social media because I think it's it's ever-changing. I mean, like, mm-hmm. MySpace. Yeah. You know, who, who's got a MySpace <laughs> account these days? I mean, Penny, was it Justin Timberlake or someone that bought it? Was this a mad... Or was it... Did he what? sell... There's some crazy no. thing involving him and I think he bought MySpace no right at that time and it, I think it was, like, dead and buried within... Because I know Three the guy months, who Facebook and Instagram it. and he, then Instagram. He sold it for a lot of mm. money and then it failed. Clever him, do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, he sold it at the right time. Yeah. He's just living it up. We Tom somewhere. Yeah. Remember? Yeah, yeah. Tom from MySpace. Tom from MySpace. Yeah, wonder if Everyone's He'll be in the Seychelles and he's... <laughs> yeah, he's just like, I am like set. I'm never working yeah. again. <laughs> I'd love to say it. Or someone will have to let us know, but I, I'd love to yeah, say something Tom like, from MySpace, please get in touch. Yeah. <laughs> what are you up to? Yeah, or Justin Timberlake. Or Justin Timberlake. Can you tell us what? what? (laughs) Please don't assume we have no money. (laughs) There is a brilliant book 
um, mm. that I really love. And when I do my, my sort of 100 years of addressing to music sort of talks and things, yeah. it's a woman called Rachel Steer has done um, Striptease, the untold... Uh, the Girly Show, I think it's called, the Untold History yeah. of Striptease. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, um, it's not so academic, but it's a really, really interesting read. And I always feel it's the most intelligent book uh, the most, certainly the most well-researched book that's been done in recent times oh, right. on burlesque. Yeah, yeah, and you can order that on Amazon. So anyone that really wants to get a good grounding, not just about burlesque, but about striptease. Mm-hmm. And, um, and she investigates the sort of the, like, the politics of it, uh, musical elements of it. But it's a brilliant, brilliant read. Yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd really but is that mainly that. the uh, the American burlesque or burlesque? No, she talks or... about the Raymond Review Bar, and it, yeah. it's just a history about sort of about striptease. There and is it's, but it's uh, very interesting because there's quite a few books out and uh, websites and things for American based burlesque uh, yeah. and burlesque history, but I find it quite difficult to find much about the the British performance. Yeah, and I think you mentioned to me Peaches Page. Yeah. Uh, a couple of times when when I saw you a while yeah. ago, and. Um, because I found a little thing about Peaches Page performing in Liverpool, and that's where she was doing a tableau vivant where um, one of the stagehands very nicely let a mouse across the <laughs> stage so that she'd get off the bike. But um, everything I tried to find to research her, I could only find an American female wrestler. Oh, yes. Yeah, that did like Page. pin down girl, Peaches yes. Page. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, so Peach's Page was our Lily Sincere, really. Um, mm-hmm. And I mean, there, there was a lot of sort of famous English striptease. Yeah. Sort of, um, you know, Phyllis Dixie, you know, did a book about Phyllis in Sensorland. But the mm-hmm. problem that we had here was the censor was so ferocious and what you could do in the home yes. counties yeah. was totally different to what you could do in Soho in London. Mm-hmm. So it was it governed was by so many London, draconian sort of laws. I think it was really hard for anyone. And I think a lot of them, to be honest, just were like, just gave up. Uh, so yeah. fan dancing was popular here. You know, we've got people like, who's still alive, June Wilkinson worked at the Windmill, was a principal fan dancer and went out on a on the UK sort of music hall circuit. Yeah. But it was very... I think it's interesting. It's it's in the UK and we are changing slowly. We've we've always had, in, in, in many ways, we've had things like the page three women, you know what I mean, that until recently. Were, were, so we could have naked women over a morning cup of tea on page three with a newspaper. Who wouldn't? Um, <laughs> but yeah, so many other things, which in America, they were always astounded that we would have that in a... In a yeah. I can't even call the Sun or the Mirror family newspapers. They're not, they're, they're trite. But um, I, I, there's interest in such a double standard here yeah, in the UK, historically it's, about sex it, and about it, it's sexual representation was, in, in, yeah. in entertainment specifically. I remember when um, the adverts came out for the Wonder Bra. Yes. Back in the 90s. Yeah. And people were like crashing their cars and horrified. That's right, and yeah. Eva Hesigova was the model. I remember like at that similar time, it would be quite common to find pornography in the bushes of places. Yeah. yeah remember yeah. that being a thing? Like, yeah. You'd just find So I think the English, um, in, in many ways, and I think that was true with striptease, it was seen as smutty. Yeah. Um, something that you went to on your own with your Mac or whatever. Mm. It wasn't, it was less celebratory than something like. Burlesque would have been, in which couples yeah. would have gone to see Tempest Storm or Lily Sincere, mm-hmm. and they would have that in some ways would have been their sex education. Tempest Storm always says that she was like, "I've been, yeah. I've instructed more women about the art of seduction than than yeah. any 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 book or Kinsey report or whatever could have ever ever done." Mm-hmm. Um, but I think in the UK, if you look at something like even in a part of our pop culture, like the Carry On films, yes. Sex is never sex called sex. It was always it not. or nooky or it was alluded to. Yeah. It was never directly spoken about. So mm-hmm. if you look at someone like Barbara Windsor, she was crumpet, she's got it. it, it she was never, it was all a bit of a, a kind of like yeah. sordid joke yeah. and never taken quite seriously. And I mm-hmm. think that's why our history, I think, has been shuttered away in many ways. Mm-hmm. You know, it was something a bit sort of a bit seedy and, mm. and it was certainly viewed by by the media if you look at reports in the about this the striptease business and it was more striptease really it was called striptease clubs rather than burlesque clubs here um, but it's always sensationalised in the press and the women are women of low morals and ill, Ill repute and yeah, you know our, like our second class citizens Christine Keeler yeah and they um, were kind of like bastardised in mm-hmm. the press for taking yeah. their clothes off and she was still even up until yeah. death she was having paparazzi yeah taken photos totally. of her for a scandal that happened in the 60s absolutely so i think for a woman to choose a career that had like a sexual a sexual element to it yeah. you know you look at even high profile women like we had diana Dawes, 
mm-hmm. um, yeah. blonde actress in the 1950s, the first sort of post-war sex symbol in the UK, and she mm-hmm. was hounded and taunted by the press and, and sort of yeah, criticised for her look and the fact that she was... And yet there was a mother with three kids, you know what I mean, mm-hmm. doing a job, you know, having a, a very, very successful career. Yeah. You know, but um, striptease could not be looked at as a career. It, it was something quite shameful mm-hmm. and, and, and they were loose women, basically loose morals. There, and there was a, a very... And they still are, Lily. Thank you, So there's like that element of the, the tabloid culture that we live in. Yes, yeah. Which, you know, Slightly sensationalises everything. and yeah. There is just very much that gossip yeah. and that. And do you know what's so funny? And, and now the press rewards someone that's been on Love Island. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. With absolutely no skill, no, yes. you know, or someone like What's-Her-Face from Essex, Gemma Collins, you know, who's, I, I just find them really, that to me is a totally unwholesome role model, you know what I mean? How if you're taking yeah. your clothes off in public and making a career of that and you're <laughs> Phyllis Dixie or Peaches Page, you know what I mean? Like operating yeah. and keeping a company of 30 other artists working, in employment yeah. and working and gigging, yeah. you know, um, and there is a skill, you know what I mean? This is, mm-hmm. this is the thing with, with, you know, with burlesque, with striptease. I mean, uh, I think the bottom line is it is entertainment, it is theatrical entertainment, and there is a skill set to that. Yes. As we know, yeah. you know what I mean? And I think that's oh, interesting. I that's, uh, yeah, you know what I, I know mean? It's it's, it's 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 kind of like, um, it's interesting as well. Like, right, mm-hmm. right now we've got this whole thing I think we drag, yeah. you know what I mean? Which can, I mean, I know so many talented race. drag. Yeah, and we have the UK drag race. We've got the UK soon, drag race, well. um, but so, and it's it's an easy bedfellow for burlesque because it is such a visual yeah. thing. And I think also, if I'm being honest, I think sometimes with drag as with burlesque, it's a difficult to see what the skill is. You, you know what I mean? So if you look. Uh, I don't want to name anyone in particular, but, you know, there are some drag queens with an amazing, amazing look, but their skill, and it is a skill, yes. is in makeup artistry. Do you know yeah. what I mean? There's not an awful mm. lot. I think I've seen a few of them where I'm like, ah, oh, that's it. Yeah. But then we all like, went one night and we saw Jinx Monsoon do her vaudeville yeah, show. And I'm like, how talented, how talented are so many of those those performers? Yeah. But, you know, it's it's an interesting one because I think you've got uh, you've got circus-based people, you've got magic, you've got speciality acts where there's mm-hmm. a definite, definite, very, very, very evident skill set. Yeah. Burlesque, I think, sometimes like drag can be difficult to kind of pull away the look and actually look at the skill set and if mm-hmm. there is one, you know what I mean? But so, um, so it's interesting. The, the about burlesque from... look queens. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I think we're, we're kind of, uh, you know, and I think that's it's the way it's gone with Instagram mm-hmm. and everything, you know, and, and well, I mean, look what I do as a, as a profession. So, um, yeah. <laughs> you know, so I'm probably sound a bit of a, a hypocrite and that I probably shot my fair share of people that have an amazing look but yeah. don't necessarily have a talent to back that up you know I, I, I will say that <laughs> oh he's had a beer he's had a beer <laughs> there's a lot of I think there's a lot of pressure on um, mm. and particularly newer performers to hit that first whatever like you know 500 followers what you, you know whatever yeah. um, and I it, it's an and un- it doesn't sit right, does it? Because I think ultimately, no. if you're great at what you do, mm-hmm. A, your reputation is going to precede you, social media following yeah. or not. Um, so if you go, I, I, let's just look at someone like Velma Von Bomber. I don't know what Velma's following is on Instagram, but let's there is someone. Up, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> right, like, now we're going to see uh, yeah, yeah, where she is. Instagram following. <laughs> but she's someone that has so many different skills, very yes. hardworking. She is probably um, one of the hardest working people. Yeah, I know. and so and I and I, I, maybe she's a weird example to use, Velma, because um, but the, the, what I'm saying is that probably, and I don't know um, that maybe she doesn't have like x thousands of followers or anything mm. like that on Instagram, but there is someone that is constantly being booked, being hired, gigging yeah. all the time. So ultimately, you know, it's same yeah, old, isn't it? You've got to be good at your job to yes. get the work. You know what I mean? And then even then, and for all of us, and I, I'm, I'm exactly the same as everyone else, that there are times when you're like, why is that one booking me? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, it just is what it is. We, it's we just, all have those moments. Yeah, and we, we, exactly. And we it's, don't and really it's, talk about them. Yeah, it's seen yeah. as kind of almost admitting defeat to some degree. Oh, my, no, I have... It's, it's that social media thing of, like, appearing to be busy. Yeah, Even when yeah. you're not. I, I mean, there's funny stories with social media, but <laughs> I uh, I was hysterical. We all went out one night. I was, I was doing a gig in Europe, and I, I won't say which one or, or who it was, but... There was a, a very high-profile performer that was like, yeah, if I've got no gigs, I just put, like, different backdrops up and put my costumes on Saturday night and just take selfies in front. I've, 
And I was like, are you kidding? I was like, that's actually really genius. But she's like, no one, no one's known that that I'm not busy because I'm constantly putting, I'm putting my gig clothes on and just who knows. Actually, I thought, who knows for sure? Because I know uh, performers who take multiple selfies at a gig in different areas because then they can post them a few weeks later when they're just sat at home in their pajamas. Yeah. So it's it's very much like this veneer. Of yeah, it's not all the time. So I always say the same it's like thing. That comparison, it, you, it's yeah. not really. You can't compare yourself when you don't know the truth behind. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know the reality. Put it this way, and like distill it all down. I think I've got like however many thousands of people on Instagram. Mm-hmm. If I'm feeling really shitty, really, really low, there's probably like three people that I can talk to, and my and my mum being one oh. in my life. But, but do you know yeah. what I mean? That's yeah. the reality of it. If I've got something no, really, really that. shitty like that's not good, and yeah. I'm like, actually, I well, I'm not going to go on Instagram or Facebook, mm-hmm. but that's for one thing. But that's kind of like the reality of it. It is not a real place. It is a place where you can put your little shop window of your work and everything, yeah. but that's not the real you or mm-hmm. your. Um, it depends how. Pe- I mean, I, I think people use Facebook in very different ways. I mean, for me, it's very much this is what I'm up to. I don't want to put anything of my, yeah. too much of my real life because it's a mm-hmm. private life, you know what I mean? I think mm-hmm. it'd be great. I mean, you know, I'd love everyone to think that I'm in spangly jackets shooting, you know, Bella superstars on pumpkins, you know. Yes, that happens. Like, but we, like we were earlier Like, like we were tonight, earlier yes. today. <laughs> Millie, by the way, before we did this, was like <laughs> naked with like cat masks and on my Halloween pumpkin and that, that amazing set. So you have to actually... If when this comes out, you'll have to post one of those up because they were, that was a brilliant oh, photo shoot. For sure, I definitely will. <laughs> I never almost fallen off a giant pumpkin before, but <laughs> there's always a first time yeah. for everything, isn't there? Yeah. But I, 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 I get what you mean when it's like there's times where I have those low moments, or I have an idea, or I have something I'm excited mm. about, and I'm I'm like if Ed's busy or he's away, or I like I'll look through and I'm like, who do I call about this? Yeah, but also I think you know, like most artists, I think there is. There is a real close connection, and the more I do this job, the more I see it with yeah. all of us, actually, of your kind of, like, mental health, you know what I mean? Yeah. I think burlesque is one of those things, like, it's an outlet, you know what I mean? And I think yeah. people that have different sort of mental health or anxieties and things, I think mm-hmm. it is a great outlet in, in lots of ways. Yeah. But there is a close connection, I think, with a lot of artists and things, and, and stuff like depression and performance yeah, and things because sure. it's sort of like it, it, it's being on that stage performing in front of those people you you, mm-hmm. you, you in a sense retain the power the and you can keep your distance well. from those people and yet you can express yourself mm-hmm. in a way that you can't necessarily on Facebook or in the middle of Sainsbury's or <laughs> you know what I mean in your local cafe or whatever oh hello oh, this is my pumpkins gagging in this is my cat room. coming down hello pumpkin wine in coming in for a little meow you can follow him on Instagram by the way he's got 16 followers oh pumpkin Come on, boo. Come on up. Uh, He's a rescue. Not a rescue from the world. He is a very sweet cat. Hello. Um, but yeah, that's cool. We're covering some ground there, aren't we? That's... <laughs> yeah, I know. We're kind of covering everything, it would seem. Well, like... I, I hope that's all right. I've, um... But yeah, I, 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 I do feel, uh, just jumping back to that last mm-hmm. point, that I wouldn't want anyone listening to this. I, uh, honestly, I, I sometimes Facebook specifically, um, yeah. and that's a whole different conversation to be had, but I think it is sometimes not the healthiest place. And I think yeah, there's a lot to be said for taking a There is something to have a, a social back. media cleanse. Yeah, yeah. And I don't think it is not the real world. And I think we've all been there where we're like, mm-hmm. things aren't going great. And then you suddenly look and everyone's at a party or everyone's at a gig or everyone's in Marbella or, or you know, why is it anyone <laughs> yeah. like that or whatever. But that it makes it, um, and it's designed, sadly, for that. It is designed for kind of to play into our insecurities in, in yeah. many ways social media so many people so when it's great that. it's brilliant but yeah, yeah it's but also be guilty of perpetuating it exactly themselves. yeah yeah um because we can't help but be like oh i'm i'm at something i'm doing a thing i want to share that i'm doing it yeah yeah so there's that weird level of now i must share what the the specific thing i'm doing at this point in time with everyone yeah and i think what what's encouraging us to do is is to share more and more of um of a world that isn't necessarily sort of real, do you know what I mean? Yes. And present this this sort of like shop window, flashy part of ourselves mm-hmm. that isn't necessarily we are what we're experiencing or feeling. So deep that, on this a... podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I've only had one beer, I swear to God. I've just, just had one, one. Amsterdam. It's a very strong beer. Oh, is there absinthe in that? 
<laughs> anyway, this is this is what happens, Millie. Actually, this is like well, this, this is, is like, like, like how all of our conversations yeah, end yeah. up is that we just go on. I have this funny. Like, there's about three people. Tangent. If I get like Raven Noir, if she's on the, it's like three hours. Yes. Uh, until one of our batteries dies. Yeah, and um, and who's the other one? Kiki Deville is another one that yeah. always knew that I'm always kind of like. Yeah. And then anyway, about the gig. <laughs> That's always what happened in the last, the last 20 seconds before. Anyway, about that gig that I booked you for. Can yeah. I just sort that out? Yeah. Um, but yeah. Because I've been quite open in the past about mental health issues and such. Um, but it, it is odd because it's... Um, you get some people that come to you and be like, yeah, it's really great that you're open about this and you know, I'll get a lot of messages mm. about it. But then it's that little thing in the back of my head that I also have to remember that I have family members on these social media things or yeah, people yeah. that might not know yeah. or that I would talk to face-to-face about right. these things. So it's that sharing but also guarding. Yeah. So it's a, yeah, it's a yeah. strange place to, to navigate. Yes. Yeah, and I, I was, I was kind like, of thinking, I'm a ultimately... I'm girl, but also I have depression. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. But ultimately that, it's not a real... Mm-hmm. world i think you know your home yeah. life with ed with your family with your friends that's mm-hmm. that's a reality yeah um i think that sure. facebook is yeah it's a thing but not not necessarily a real thing at times it's important to, to have that separation as well isn't it yes yeah for sure social media cleanse get on it everyone <laughs> take a week off that's not that did, did you have a makeup a called off. social media cleanse um, other than listening to this podcast <laughs> <laughs> Let's take a week off. Oh my god, is that is that naturally? Do we want to finish on that note? Well, we did did say that we were like, let's talk about why history is so important. But But we have. We talked about everything, everything in between. Yeah, I think from modern history to how uh, we navigate ourselves um, in this world of burlesque, because this world of burlesque is very different to the world of burlesque that we normally talk about on this podcast or the right, right, world yeah. of burlesque that you spend a lot of time researching yeah. and recording when you have, um, you know, sit-downs with these yeah. legends. Well, yeah, so so I think, yeah, um, I mean, you know, for, for me, sort of like summing up, I think, mm-hmm. yeah, the history, for all the reasons we've discussed and all the, the crazy anecdotes and things, yeah. it, has, it has and continues to be an ever-evolving and powerful movement burlesque. And I mm-hmm. think... Um, it is just great that finally it's being sort of recognised in, the, in yeah. the sort of in the history of entertainment, and it's got mm-hmm. its place in the I history of entertainment, so, yeah. you know. And I think it's interesting. Um, I just think you know, with a whole burlesque history within the UK and its rebirth within the UK, mm-hmm. you know, I, I genuinely feel for me that we've lived through like a golden age of burlesque, maybe the last sort of decade or so, yeah. and it is moving into new territory and things now, you know, and things like certainly social media has had a huge hand to play and I think in many ways for all of us and I do mean all of us it's made it a more difficult place at times as well Mm -hmm. you know what I mean I think people you know people have become more vulnerable more sort of fragile and I think we live in a world now with Trump with Brexit and I think burlesque has had a really interesting response to that you know people's work has changed people's outlook has changed their their pressure points have changed mm-hmm. really you know i think we're far more aware of things like race being a being a really obvious example to use mm-hmm. than we were 10 years ago yeah you know so i think the business is changing our outlook is sort of changing and that that is being inspired by sort of social media but also yeah. i kind of like some elements of that where I think people are kind of being sort of re-educated, things are sort of moving forward. Yeah. And the one thing I think with burlesque is, you know, 10 years from now, there'll be a different conversation happening. Things will have changed again. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it'd be, it'd be, if we're all still here, it'd be fascinating to, be to hear, yeah. you know, what's happening in, in what, 2029? Yeah. Oh, 2029. That's a, it sounds like a really far away... <laughs> But it's not really. That's like I, I know it's like scary. I was really like saying to someone else that I God, it's been twenty years. I can't believe we're into years, the twenties again, almost. Yeah. Yeah, we're nuts, three months it? from the twenties now. And, yeah, yeah. yeah, but I think like, hopefully within the next few years, it would be great if we took a leaf from Jenny Lee's book of the Exotics League of yeah. Dancers and um, started to work together to have more. Yeah, of that's a, what I would like to see. I think I'd yeah, genuinely like, like a, to see a, a burlesque dancers union. Yeah, I'd like to see people kind of more... I, I always say, and I'm being really truthful, yeah. I find I work in a scene, not a community. There's a big difference yeah. of, of burlesque. There's people you connect you know I mean? with. Yeah, yeah. It is 
it is work. This is our place of work. Yeah. It's like how we have work friends if we worked in an office. But yeah, yeah. within this community that we constantly travel and change and yeah. You know. So it would be interesting to see how that how that structures itself. I think that is for new yeah. generations of performers to mm. to kind of like to come together and 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 I'd, I'd love to see that happen to yeah. to, be, to 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 have that sense of a community, mm-hmm. people working together with a shared passion. Because ultimately, what draws everybody in Burlesque together is a passion for an art form. Yeah. That that's the the, the yeah. basic of it. That's the bottom line. Mm-hmm. Is a passion. You know what I mean? So I think and and that's a shared thing. So that that's the starting yeah. point. Yeah, we should take it back. Jenny Lee. Jenny Lee, bless her. Miss 44 and plenty more. So um, I will upload some photos of uh, the varying many, many subjects that we talked about (laughs) (laughs) over this podcast. There's going to be a lot of pictures, basically. Um, Naked pumpkin patch pictures. Oh, they're so good. Um, Brilliant. Smashing, um, smashing pumpkins. Well, smashing pumpkins and smashing some glass gallon water tanks. Oh God, <laughs> so yes, Evangeline and Divina. Yeah. Over on the Instagram, but thank you so much for oh, joining me. Thank you me for having today, me. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. It's been really nice to not to have a, a little bit of an education and a discussion of burlesque as it stands now. Yeah, um, well, it's, I mean, it's been a it's been a random thing, but I hope. Everyone's yeah. enjoyed it. So yeah. Thank you for tuning in. <laughs> if you haven't, then Bel-Ed- you can send Bel-Ed's your podcasters. complaints to Neil Kendall at <laughs> www. I never pick up. com. <laughs> it always goes to voicemail. <laughs> but for now, thank you to everyone for tuning in, and that was.